Good afternoon from southern New Hampshire. It's 1400 on the east coast, 1800 GMT, and 1530 Newfoundland time. This is PFG Live. Brian checking in. He says hello from northeast Ohio with 81 degrees. Here in southern New Hampshire, it is currently 84 degrees with uh, the rumbles of thunderstorms heard in the distance. Uh, we've got DBX checking in on Discord. He is still in Japan. And uh, he says it's 83 degrees. Nope, that's not you. <laughs> DBX is not in Japan. You're in the Japan section of Brooklyn. So uh, DBX is checking in from uh, Rockland County. 83 Fahrenheit and sunny with a 56 degree relative humidity. That's not bad. We do have uh, thunderstorms up north here, so you might want to uh, you might want to check that. Um, let's see, WidgetWorks Manufacturing is checking in. Welcome aboard, sir. You are reporting 24 degrees Celsius and sunny, 46 degrees relative humidity in the Edmonton of the Alberta. Welcome, sir. Nice to see you. <laughs> we had oh really? You had thunderstorms last night. Yeah, it's a little, uh, it's going to be a little crazy today. Uh, let's see, who else is checking in? I think we've got everybody covered. Everybody's, I started a few minutes later than normal. I'll give you my excuses in a second. But everything is going uh, just according to plan otherwise. CJ Stevens has joined us. 86 and partly sunny and humid in the east of Tennessee. Almost is here with, <laughs> drum, roll, drum roll please, 100F in the Phoenix. Welcome, sir. Uh, nice to hear you. Uh, if you haven't been following, Almost is like scraping up a lot of work. <laughs> He's scraping. Get it? Uh, what else? Proteum is... Uh, He's checking in on Discord, 91 and 27% in Tucson. So Tucson is a little nicer, I, I guess. Robert Simpson is here, 80 degrees and partly cloudy near Detroit. How near? Like, if you went out your front door and you went to the heart of the, of the city, how far would you have to go? I'm just curious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Proteum says it's a lot less pavement and thermal mass than Phoenix. I believe that. Uh, excellent. Well, it's funny because I, I joke about um, my wife grew up uh, north of New York City in Larchmont, which I'm sure DBX is familiar with. And I always called that the country, and that drove some people crazy. But it's kind of the country. Three quarters, so he says, uh, Robert Simpson says, three quarters of a mile north of the border of Detroit. Downtown is about 10 miles away. So, yeah, uh, that's pretty cool. I guess if I drove to Boston, it's a lot more than 10 miles. So you're a little, you're, you're closer in. So um, we have some stuff to talk about today. Nothing earth shattering. Um some progress has been made on several fronts, and we can go over that. Hey, Machine New Zealand is here. Good morning. And uh, it just, by the way, as soon as you checked in, it started pouring here in southern New Hampshire. I'm sure it had everything to do with it. So give us about 10 minutes worth, Machine NZ, and then turn the valve off, would you? <laughs> it's It's starting to. It's starting to rain. You might hear it in the background. So speaking of hearing it in the background, uh, we, um, we're using a new microphone today. And just getting the hang of it, just getting it sorted out. Uh, DBX, who uh, is a, a former audio engineer, is helping me a little bit get it sorted out. But uh, it's, it's new. So it might be a different sound, and that explains... That explains a lot. So, yeah, many things happened today, uh, one of which happened in, literally in the last couple of hours, um, and we'll talk about that. 
So nice to see you guys. If anybody has any interesting news, feel free to put it in the chat. We'll try to work it in. Um, let's see. We, we've been talking for, <laughs> for weeks about uh, this relative humidity sensing, and, and I think we're bringing it in for a landing. One of the things we've discovered is that our round $3 hygrometers that we're buying off of Amazon are, they're inaccurate. <laughs> so let me clarify that. My friend Doug, who may check in today, may not, um, he's done some very extensive testing on these things, like serious nerd out testing. And what we have found is that um, they are accurate around 50% and up. So 50% relative humidity and up, they're not bad, okay? But 50% relative humidity and down, they start to get uh, bad again. Joel Ells checking in. Good morning, sir. Nice to see you. So... The the you get what you pay for <laughs> with your three dollar hygrometer. Now we've we've ripped them apart and analyzed how they work. I don't have one here to show you, but you know what they look like. Um, the relative humidity sensor in the three dollar hygrometers is basically the same structure as you would have for a conductive. You know those those rubberized conductive buttons uh, that you push on devices, frequently they will land on the circuit board on a pattern that looks like uh, interdigitated conductors. And when you push down on the button, it connects the conductors. So the mechanism for the $3 hygrometers is literally measuring the resistance between these printed interdigitated conductors. Uh, there's a ceramic substrate, and there looks to be a carbon-loaded... Uh, oh, wait. Carl is here. Carl, welcome aboard. All rise, please. Okay, be seated. Uh, so, so you have these carbon ink uh, printed uh, interdigitated conductors, and then the circuitry is trying to measure conductivity between them. So the presence of moisture uh, effectively on the surface of this ceramic substrate is causing a, a current path. So the, the resistance goes down when there's moisture and it goes up when it's dry. So what do you have? You've got in the very dry conditions, you have a very high resistance, very little current flowing, and you're asking this pretty cheapo circuit to make a measurement um, at extremely low currents. And what you end up with is a, a bad number. It's very hard to do. So this is why that sensor is, is crashing um, is one of the reasons that that sensor is crashing at low humidity levels, which we care about. So along comes the Sensurian board, which we've been touting. I didn't discover it. Doug discovered it, and he gave, he gave me one of the, um, the three series, and then I bought off of, uh, off of DigiKey, I bought the, the four series. Here it is. If you're watching on video, there's the, there's the little board. Now, by the way, this little board, well, first of all, it's 30 bucks. I think you knew that. <laughs> you know, Carl, uh, it's a remarkable coincidence because I played bass for quantitative creepage back in the 80s. So the little board is 30 bucks, but it's got a battery built on it. It's got a wonderful display. It's got a Bluetooth low energy interface. It's It's... It'll switch between dew point and relative humidity. It does all sorts of cool things. But, um, and, then, and then in our testing, if you've been around following this, you know that in our testing, it's been just stunningly good. Now, 
uh, Doug tested these things from first principles. So he had a sealed container and he literally titrated water into the container. So he was doing calculations of the relative humidity from first principles and, and plotting the output of the hygrometer against the calculated values. I will tell you that the curve, I don't have them to show you, but the curve uh, for the Sensorian board was a dead straight line. It was gorgeous, right down to zero or close to zero. And then the curve for the um, $3 hygrometer didn't even start recording until above 10%. I was <laughs> uh, third base, Carl. I was the third base. I, I'm not gonna. I can't lie. That wasn't that good. So, anyway, we discovered that this sucker is awesome. So I did a little research. I wanted to know how how this Sensorian sensor works. Now, the sensor itself. Let's see if I can get you a picture of this because I I took a picture of it for you today. Let's see, if you're watching on the video, there it is. So it's a little um, it's a little chip on board. They, they cut a slot around the chip so there's no mechanical stresses on this thing. And then there's a little window leading to a, a, an integrated circuit, it seems. And that's all we know. Well, I did find a little bit of information from Sensorian on their website. Here it is, okay. And allow me to give you a dramatic reading. Uh, it says, Sensorian's relative humidity sensors are based on a capacitive measuring principle. The sensor element consists of a capacitor whose dielectric is made of a polymer. This absorbs or releases water in proportion to the relative ambient humidity. The, resulted, the resulting change in the dielectric constant alters the capacitance of the capacitor, which can be measured with an electronic circuit. The temperature measurement is made possible by bipolar transistors. Listen, that last line, guys, <laughs> you, could have, you could have left that out. We didn't need that last one. All right, so let me explain what's going on. First of all, if you're not an electrical engineering type uh, or a ham radio operator or a hacker of electronic circuits, you might, even, you might not even know what a capacitor is so if i take two metal plates two parallel plates and i put them in relative proximity to each other um, they form an electronic component we call a capacitor and you if you apply a voltage to it it will store an electric charge on the plates one side has a positive charge one side has a negative charge Oh, DBX. DBX says he played bass for the bipolar transistors back in the 80s. We might have been on stage together or incarcerated together. I'm not sure which. So the amount of charge we can store between those plates is called capacitance. And uh, that's what a capacitor is. Now, if you've ever uh, shuffled your feet across a across a wool carpet or something and then touched uh, a cold water faucet and got a zap, a static electricity zap, you were the capacitor. Um, you stored charge. Anyway, let's go back to our uh, thought experiment with these two parallel plates. If you, if you think about it, there's air between those plates or there's vacuum if you want to be you know, really theoretical. And we call that the dielectric. So when there's nothing between the plates, we say it has an air dielectric or it has a dielectric constant of a relative dielectric constant of one. But if you stick some sort of spooge between the plates, you can increase the capacitor value and, you, and that dielectric can have a higher value. So if you're an audio guy and you look inside your amplifier and you see these, these uh, little little cans that are capacitors and they have a you know they, they're marked 100 microfarads or whatever they have 
stuff in them that has a, a relative dielectric constant that multiplies the effect of the capacitor. So uh, if I have two parallel plates and I want to make a bigger capacitance, I, I can do it two ways. Number one, I can move the plates closer. I can make the plates bigger or I could put the spooge between them. So uh, now let's translate those that knowledge to our sensor. So they give us a, a helpful little picture in the little write-up that I, that I read you. And they have two plates that are next to each other on the surface of an integrated circuit. And then they have a polymer, which is another way of saying a, a plastic, some sort of material, uh, on top of those two plates. And the electric field lines between them goes through the polymer. Uh, yeah, Robert Simpson says he has radial electrolytics. You know, there's a dermatologist that I know that I could send you to who could take care of your radial electrolytics. I'm so sorry. Um, so they made a capacitor, except the dielectric between the plates is exposed to the air. And with, if water is in the dielectric, the dielectric constant goes up and the capacitance goes up. If there's no water in the dialect in the polymer, um, <laughs> Robert Simpson's uh, radial dial uh, radial electrolytics are oozing, oozing electrolytics. I'll leave that one for Chris. Um, so, if you make an electronic circuit that uses that capacitor, for example, in what we call an oscillator, okay, so the thing is sitting there switching between two values boop, 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 and it depends in part on the capacitor value the, the frequency of that oscillator can go up or it can go down based on the water content of the polymer here's the thing um, if you have no water in the polymer it still has it's still a capacitor and if you have a ton of water in the polymer the capacitance goes up and it's going to saturate at some pretty high level but it's effective throughout the range and that's what we're seeing is that this thing works from zero up to high values so that was a long way to say that this is a pretty cool way of making a sensor and uh, by the way uh, for those of you playing at home if you're following on your score sheets the dielectric constant the relative dielectric constant of water is about 80. In other words, it's 80 times higher than air. So doing things with capacitance sounds like a pretty good deal. So long story short, they're making bank on this capacitor, uh, capacitor-based sensor, and it works. It works phenomenally well. Now, here's the rest of the story. You'll notice in the picture on your screen, and if not, I'll describe it to you, we have a little square package. In the middle is a hole leading down to the chip, and there's only four leads, okay? This thing has the sensor circuitry plus a, a, a digital circuit that talks, for you digital guys, it talks I squared C, which is just a, a format that's really easy to interface to. So there's only four pins on this thing. There's plus voltage, ground, and then two pins for the I squared C interface, and you're done. In fact, if you're if you're uh, if you like playing with microcontrollers and you're familiar with uh, Adafruit, a great website, great manufacturer of little blivets, they have a, a Sensorian chip-based uh, blivet. Actually, they have a couple of them for their line of, uh, uh, what are they called, uh, feathers. They, they call their little microprocessors feathers. So go, you can go check that out, and you can play around yourself. So after, after it comes out of the chip, it's just a microprocessor. Now, here's the weird thing about the Sensorian board, okay? Again, I'm going to show this to you on the video. Uh, in this corner of the Sensorian board is this little tiny daughter board, I mean, really tiny, like a, maybe a quarter of an inch by a half of an inch. And at first glance, 
you see this little wire coming out of it to a, a chip antenna. That's a bad word, by the way. Um, and that's your Bluetooth low energy module. But it's also the processor for the whole thing. <laughs> so so the, the, the rest of the board space is taken up by the battery and the, and the display. I mean, this is, this is crazy how little, how tiny the tech is in this. So um, anyway, very useful, 30 bucks. It's designed as an evaluation board for engineers to convince them to design the Sensurian sensor into their product. However, it also does a great job of serving as a reference standard for relative humidity. So my philosophy now is simple. It's if you want to keep buying the $3 um, hygrometers, use this as your reference to check them against. If you decide they're junk, throw them out. If you decide they're good enough for what you're doing, continue using them, having proven to yourself what, what they're good at. Okay, so that's the Sensorian Evaluation Board story, and that's, that's the board. So having said all that, I wanted to make this thing a little more user-friendly, and if you've been following on Instagram, you'll know that I made this housing for this board, and it took a few iterations. This is what we call P7, or the seventh iteration of the prototypes. And the board just drops into the bottom, and the top just snaps over it. I'm doing it live here, folks. Okay. And there you go. So this makes it really kind of nice. I have placed the STL files for this housing on my links page at pfg.gg slash links, uh, including a pointer to the Sensorian board on DigiKey. Hashtag not sponsored. So what I'm holding in my hands right now is, you know, a few bucks for the PLA. Well, it's not even a few bucks for the PLA, but and then 30 bucks for the board. And we have us a really nice, like plus or minus 1.8% uh, relative humidity sensor. Now, I'll wrap it up by saying that the sensor on this board is, is there. Uh, SHT40 sensor and they go up to SHT45 which is the most expensive like it goes from a buck or two to like four or five bucks but the higher one the 45 is more accurate if you if you can believe it um, and it goes down it has higher accuracy at the low end so we don't have a board available to use that quite yet but there you go. That's the Sincerean sensor. Now, if, if there are enough people that want these things, just like you're seeing in my hand, in the case, okay, that I designed, who don't want a 3D printed case and don't want to figure out how to order from DigiKey, and you, you send me a message and say, I want one, I'll, we'll put these together. Uh, I'll charge just enough to cover my, my costs, and then we'll make them available. How's that? Okay, so you guys let me know, but I believe now we have a reference standard and we're good. So if you have any questions about that whole project, let me know. But I think that sort of wraps it up. Um, and I've printed up, I have four more of these guys coming and I've printed up cases for them. So Almost Machining says the sensor is a little better than a DHT22, which I'm unfamiliar with. But um, I, like I said, I was depending on uh, the expertise of others to, uh, to find that uh, Sensorian sensor. So if there's something even better, I'm interested to know. But we're kind of done as far as I'm concerned. Okay, Carl's in for one. <laughs> I'll let you know, Carl. In fact, I better start a list so it doesn't get away from me here. Um. Look for the pen. RH sensors. Carl's in. Okay. Yeah, you could just tell me. You could just tell me in the chat if you want one, and I'll make a list and I'll let you guys know on uh, Instagram. 
Um, so that's the story. In other news, so Robert Simpson says you just need cases. So I, I can also make you the cases uh, if you're if you're not into 3D printing. We could do that too. So cases only, huh? All right, so that's Robert Simpson. Gotcha. Gotcha on the list. We'll take care of you, buddy. So uh, in in other... Oh, yeah, okay, good. So in other news, um, we started evaluating the... Uh, balancing stand twist and the taper um, collet what we're calling the taper collet in the balancing stand so the taper collet goes into the taper of the uh, grinding wheel adapter and that locks that to the to the arbor in a way such that the concentricity is low and the uh, parallel parallelism parallelism perpendicularity is high gotcha Joel so we started making some measurements and they're pretty impressive uh, what we're learning here so far in fact the the photo let me get you let me get your this picture up on the screen the photo of the in the thumbnail shows uh, the measurement setup so i grabbed a grinding wheel hub uh took off the nut some would ex some would say that the nut's still here uh and i literally I, I tried clamping it but that was less reliable i super glued it to uh, a v-block and had a nice little setup so that I could put the taper collet into the adapter hub and put the rod in and then measure how how it changed position. And in the initial measurements we were seeing on this unit, um, seven ten thousandths of an inch of total indicated uh, run out. Now you got to be careful. It's not really total indicated run out because we're only measuring it at four reference points. So, but you understand the, the total difference between any two of those measurements was seven ten thousandths of an inch for, so from the standpoint of balancing, that's pretty good. Uh, it is not perfect and it is not zero, but if, if you're running along on your small grinder, and you're not balancing wheels, uh, this is going to make all the difference in the world. So I'm very happy about that. So what we're going to do is for the first 20 BS8s that go out the door, we're going to make the measurements and include a data sheet with each one of them. So there's two things that are going to happen. Number one, we're going to get data statistical data so that we understand where we're at and number two you're going to get the data of your unit um, as it co goes out the door after the first 20 units we won't be measuring anymore we'll be you know trusting the data but again uh, this is a this is a balancing situation this is not a you know we're not building machine ways we're not you know doing any of that stuff so i'm i'm really happy about the results also, I, I don't think I published the numbers, but we we also measured the twist, so the non-parallelism of the of the uh, two rods in the in the uh, in the balancing stand uh, housing, and that was similarly excellent. In fact, I'll tell you a very funny story. I, I set out my the aluminum based balancing stand that you've seen in pictures before and I I put it on the on the granite surface plate and I got it all jigged up and I started measuring the twist of it <laughs> and the twist 
of the BS8 balancing stand was superior to the one that I've been depending on now for literally years. So I, I am not super worried about the twist, although it came out great. Um, I was more concerned about this taper collet, uh, and now we're, it's completely viable. So we're able to get this job done and get it out the door for under 200 bucks. That makes me very, very happy. Um, and it should make you happy too, because you can now have balanced wheels. The website for the balancing stand is bal.gg. Um, that always existed, but it pointed to the balancing rings, which is rin.gg, and now it has its own page. The page is just the skeletal beginnings, but we'll have more. If, for example, we'll have this information on that page. Huh. So pretty happy about uh, measuring the the run out on the on the uh, taper call it and that should put a bunch of minds at ease so that's the story on the taper call it very happy about that uh, you can order the uh, model number bs8 which has a secret message to you <laughs> right on the website and if you're one of the first 20, you will get the data sheet. Okay? So that's the rest of the news. So, so far, what we've talked about today, there's two examples of 3D printing being used in appropriate, you know, in, in useful ways. The latter being the most surprising. But uh, I'm pretty excited about that. So one of the, one of the subtitles of today's episode was, if it's crazy and it works then it's not crazy. So that applies to the taper collet. But wait, there's more. I bet you thought that was the only crazy, not crazy thing. But literally early this morning, relatively early this morning, I get a message from our one of our friends at uh, Saunders Machine Works, Mr. John Saunders. And he had mentioned, if you listen to his podcast, which I strongly recommend, called The Business of Machining, he was talking about the uh, training course that he teaches. And one of, the, one of the aspects of a training course is you have a bunch of people that are training. <laughs> and they don't necessarily know what they're doing. And, and they, they break uh, Heimer tips on their Heimer probes more often than you would if you were just doing shop work. In fact, a while back, John made these signs which you were supposed to put up somewhere and use with a, uh, a dry erase marker that it has been, you know, how many days since I last broke a Heimer tip that was the running joke. And that's been, that's been a running joke for years. It's hysterical. So he came up with the idea of printing using SLA printing or resin printing, uh, these Heimer tips that are not necessarily going to be the most accurate, but they will be good replacements for training in case they get broken. So this morning, John uh, shoots me the... Um, okay, we'll take a minor detour here. Almost says... The mass shift at a thousandth of an inch would, wouldn't be enough to matter at home. 7.0007% of the total distance, not mass, but very low percentage of offset to wheel diameter at 7 inches. Yeah, th there's an analysis that, that I need to go through, and I'll get it on video, of of this whole thing. There's there's a whole topic that needs to be addressed called compound pendulums and moment arms that will quantify what it means to have a 10,000th of an inch of run out on your grinding wheel, right? And it's not really a 10,000th of an inch of run out, it's a 10,000th of an inch of moment arm we have to go through all of that. There's there's an interesting calculation beyond the scope of of uh, this podcast, but I'll get it. I'm going to get that done. I'll get it on paper, and then we could talk about it. I got to get it so that I could explain it. You know, uh, Albert Einstein 
uh, was quoted as saying, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it. And I, uh, I adhere to that. So we'll, we'll get that sorted out almost. Anyway, so, so this morning we're texting, we're messaging back and forth, uh, John and I, and uh, I said, didn't you want something uh, SLA printed? And he said, yes. So we started talking about it. We ended up on a Zoom call. Then he sent me the files. And I said, I can do that. So I added a, a couple of twists to his idea. And here in my hot little hands, I have the very first 3D printed uh, Heimer tip. And there it is. So if you use a Heimer, you'll recognize that shape. And there's the ball and everything. Now, the thing I added, if you look, you'll see these two cross-drilled holes. So in the top of this thing, there's actually a threaded hole. It's going to be very hard to see. And uh, there was a clearance hole that goes most of the way through. And when you, when you resin print something, you don't want what we call a cup. You don't want a, a place for resin to gather in a, in, a, in a spot. You want it to be able to drain out. So that was the first idea with the cross-drilled holes. But also, you want it to break if it hits something hard. So that's another possible function of these cross-drilled holes. Anyway, this thing uh, came off the printer. This is literally the first one. Uh, and we have some you know, head scratching to do. Uh, this is what it looks like. <laughs> Sorry, podcast guys. This is what it looks like when uh, it literally comes off the printer. There's a bunch of little support uh, structure. And when you separate an SLA print, from its support structure, you get these little, these little, uh, you know, blemishes on the part. And what you do in resin printing is you, most of the <laughs> DBX says now do the long Heimer tip. You would be very surprised at what what SLA printing will do. Uh, we could probably do it. Uh, so. Half of SLA printing is for, is managing where those supports are going so that either you can clean up the little blemishes or they don't matter. So, you know, I had all of 10 minutes to do this and uh, we got it to a pretty good place. So I'll be shipping this off to, um, to John and I'll say, is this what you mean? And, uh, and we'll see what happens. But... I'm pretty happy with the first prints. I mean, the detail above where the supports attach, the detail is just stunning. Uh, and then for those of you playing at home, this is printed on uh, Form Labs Gray Version 4 resin, which is also known as Baby's First Resin. So it's you know, it's the resin that is real useful for high detail, but you wouldn't use it for mechanical uh, strength or rigidity, typically. So it will break, which is what you actually want. So we'll look forward to doing this. So I'm going to get these uh, into the mail to John and let him evaluate them. Okay, Chris, uh, welcome back. He says, I, I haven't tuned in for quite some time. What's your updated opinion of the bamboo any customer service experience yet um hey machine new zealand have a great day at work you're awesome once again go to work smiling everybody will be com completely perplexed we'll see you later uh, so what's my updated opinion of the bamboo any customer service experience yet i have had a little customer service experience my initial my, my customer service experience has been generally excellent. Um, there's one story that's a little weird, and I'm not ready to talk about it yet. I know I alluded to it last week, and I thought I would have something to tell you, but I'm kind of still waiting. Um, it's nothing major. Don't don't worry. <laughs> it's nothing. But as far as like when the when the first printer came in with a defect. They jumped on it. They took care of it, and they got me my replacement, and I got my refund, and everything was cool. So my experience with with that was excellent 
from a customer service standpoint, I would give that an A+. The printer itself, uh, all of them, have been performing shockingly well. When I was printing, by the way, when and this has nothing to do with the quality of the printer, but when I was printing the cases for the, um, come on, you could focus. You've done it before. When I was, uh, here's P5. This is prototype version five on the video. And when I got these off of the, uh, the plate, the smooth plate, the so-called PLA plate, um, they were really on there. And when they came off, we got some whitening in the blue PLA. So uh, that was like sticking too much. So I started using Windex on the cool PLA plate for these for this product, and the whitening went disappeared. So now they're again same process. Um, now they're they're just gorgeous. You could focus. There we go. See that? Just beautiful. So quality wise, performance wise. Uh, no problems. You, you still have to use the tool, right? And you could use the tool well, <laughs> or you could screw up. So, uh, yeah, uh, still, it's still a very positive experience. Let, let's put things in perspective, okay? Let's just, can we pop up 10,000 feet here? I, I just showed you a part, right? This is the, this is the, uh, the SLA part right that printer is i think it's on the order of, of four thousand dollars it's like thirty six hundred dollars four thousand dollars for the form labs three plus and the bamboo printer is under fifteen hundred dollars <laughs> so i think from a value standpoint it's an excellent value and it's doing a great job by the way, I think the same thing about the Formlabs printer. I, I could say all the same things. Great tool and great customer service. So I hope I answered your question, Chris. It's been very positive. I, I, I find other stories of other people, right, um, that are having some issues. And let me let me talk to that for a second. Um you know, the internet is a dangerous place <laughs> because you are going to see the outliers. You're going to see the 1% things. Why? Because that's what's interesting. So you read about somebody having trouble with bamboo, and then you read about another person having trouble with bamboo, and then you read about another person that's having trouble with bamboo. And all of a sudden you say, oh my gosh, people are having trouble with it. So this morning... I'm also in a in a uh, internet group on Facebook for people who own Ford F-150 Lightnings, and I thought this was pretty brilliant. Somebody posted a poll, and, and you see this traffic going by about I'm having trouble with my thing and my my battery is I'm having battery problems and they they I had to go into the shop for three months and they, you know, they're still working on my battery. So you get this impression that there are battery problems. So somebody this morning had posted a poll, which was very smart, of, you know, there was four different things you can vote on. I had some battery problems, major battery problems, blah, blah, blah. And I had no battery problems. Well, you should have seen the bar graph as of the results of this poll. It was the number of people that were having trouble were tiny. But those are the ones you hear about. Okay, so the same thing happens with, with the bamboo printer. It, it's the exact same thing. You hear about all these stories. Well, the, everybody that's happy with them, they're not making stories for you to hear. So I'm happy to say that I'm having a great time with the product. No issues, okay? Um, yeah, they just updated software. I thought they it was all improvements. Um, it's it's fine. Hashtag not sponsored. Seriously, not sponsored. Uh, Hermit Shed, welcome, sir. You're you're a little late, but we'll forgive you. Seventy eight and sunny in Zealand, Michigan. Not to be confused with New Zealand. 
See, a whole bunch of people left Michigan and went somewhere and built an island called New Zealand. Do I have that right, Hermitjed? Is that, is that correct? I believe that's correct. <laughs> Good thing uh, Machine NZ left for work because otherwise he'd be throwing things at me. Um, so that's the story on the on the bamboo. Um, it's a tool now, and we're using it, and it's it's awesome. Is it really a lot faster? Okay, so here, bottom line, I can say this without any uh, compunctions. It's in all cases in my experience, has been at least double the speed of my Prusas. Now, those of you that have bamboos would say that's not a terribly high bar, right? But there was some theoretical... Before I pushed the button and I bought it, <laughs> chip load, are you late? Do you have a clock? You are late. Go sit in the back. We still love you. Um the uh double the speed full stop um there was indications before i pushed the button to buy the printer that it was going to be four times faster this was in discussions with john saunders we were having some you know i sent him some models and he he sliced them for me and we started looking at the initial numbers and it was looking like 4x and then uh after the you know reality set in uh, and we started doing all the real things and I actually started making trays, that's what it was on, it was an honest 2X, like solid 2X. And you could make the argument that it was closer to 3, but that's my answer. Double the speed. <laughs> Hermit Shed says, not sure that New Zealand is newer than Zealand. I have a note from my mom for being tardy. Totally acceptable, but do you have cookies? Did you bring cookies? Because, you know, a note. You, nobody could eat a note. Test Room 2003 says, Good morning from, uh-oh, Oostkapel, Holland, the province Zealand. Oh, my gosh. We've done it. We've hit the Trinity. We have New Zealand having checked in this morning. We have Zealand, Michigan having checked in, and now the province of Zealand in Holland has checked in. You guys have done it. You win the internet. I'm dropping the mic. I'm actually not dropping the mic. Welcome aboard. Nice to see you, Test Room 2003. Uh, you're a new name here, and you are completely welcome. And Test Room reports 19 degrees Celsius with 72% relative velocity <laughs> i think you mean rh but it's totally cool well welcome sir welcome aboard so um did i do it did i answer your questions about the bamboo you know this this whole thing with the bamboos is 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 slowly tapering to normality right and we're still waiting for joseph to show up with massive improvements we still love you joseph you're just a little slow um, so let's see. I think we hit all the high points here. Evils says only 28% until a full recreational vehicle. Oh, I see. So you're claiming that Test Room 2003 has 72% of a recreational vehicle. I'll allow it. So, um... Any other questions? Pop them in there, and we'll we'll address it. This is we're here for you. This is I'm not here for my health. Believe me. What else can we talk about today? I we've talked about 3D printing in uh, kind of three different ways. Uh, also, running in the shop this week. If you've been on Instagram. Oh, uh, Evil says greetings from Ghent. With 23 Celsius and 55% indoors. Very nice. Robert Simpson says, almost 100% sold on a bamboo. What are you running now, sir? Do you have a 3D printer? We'll see if we can give you some advice and counsel. Um, I'll tell you what, if, you, if you've been running a 
you know, kind of slowish, modest 3D printer, uh, the thing will blow your socks off the first time it makes a print. Nothing right now. So that raises the question of would would is it a good choice for somebody buying their first 3D printer? And the answer is, yeah. Although you should have a mentor, right, or multiple mentors to cover the fundamentals because the fundamentals are still the fundamentals. For example, something that Bamboo is doing wrong is the model the model that they include as a built-in model in their printer for a benchy. Okay, so if you guys are not familiar with what a benchy is, it's a little boat which has become the de facto standard for testing 3D printers. And it's called a benchy for benchmark, okay? And if you try to print, um, if you try to print the benchy model built into the printer, it's way too fast and I don't think it prints well, and the first layer is a little iffy. So if you reslice, if you download the Benchy and you slice it the way you would normally slice it and print it, it takes 20% longer, 15% longer, and it comes out great. So that's a mistake they need to fix, and frankly, they might have fixed it on the last software release. I haven't checked, but that was a problem. They were really pushing it. Uh, almost said... Here I've been debating buying an Octoprint controller to replace your Arduinos, which have the, <laughs> yeah, 120 bucks to resurrect your printers. My, my issue is I, do, I did not want printers to be my hobby. So it was sort of a no-brainer. Any printer that, can, that I could ignore for most of the time and have it do the right thing is great. See, what you're doing right now, I, I don't want to do. So it's up to you. If you enjoy it, do it. Um, Proteum, I will answer your question in a second. Um, Bamboo X1, DBX says, Bamboo X1 Carbon is my first, his first, and he's been very pleased abusing this forum as a mentor. Totally cool. That's why we're here. So there you go. There's a vote from DBX. Chris says, I have no printer currently. Bamboo would be the first, and I like that it's going that it's plug and play, less fiddling or tinkering. I am an amateur. I think you won't be dissatisfied. I think you'll be fine. Um, really. Now, before the bamboo existed, if you asked me what you should buy, um, I would have said a Prusa and get the kit because the act of building the kit shows you the guts and teaches you what's what and enables you to fix your own printer that's all good things, okay? So you don't, you're not going to get that with the bamboo because there are no 3D printed parts in the 3D printer, whereas in the Prusa, there's lots of 3D printed parts in the 3D printer. Two completely different approaches. Each one has its, its value. <laughs> Almost says, I don't mind tinkering. It keeps costs down, but time spent is in is in years. I know. Art that makes art. Wes, welcome. He says he's printing his first fusion drawing right now. New skills unlocked. Excellent, buddy. Um, yeah, okay. I think we understand each other. So I think we can wrap up the 3D printing segment. And you know how I stand. And oh, by the way, a little commercial for our Discord. We have a Discord server. Information on how to get on the Discord server is in my links page at pfg.gg slash links. Um, if you're on the Discord server, we have a channel called 3D Printing. It is vigorous. And it has a very wide range of people between super experts and beginners and happy to help you. Okay, so if you, if you if you want another source of mentors, join the Discord server, and uh, there you go. Robert Simpson is seeking recommendations for Linux slicers. You, sir, have exceeded the capacity of this podcast. Um, uh, 
Yeah, okay, you guys are off talking about uh, Linux slicers, and that's totally fine. I'm just not going to get involved. <laughs> a man's got to know his limitations. So, uh, Proteum, you asked a question. What's with the new microphone? Okay, folks, I got a new microphone. So we've, we were running on a uh, HyperX microphone that costs about 140 bucks. I don't remember exactly what the price was, but something like that. And I decided I wanted to, you know, upgrade the microphone. Why? Because this podcast slash uh, YouTube live depends on good audio. Who wants to listen to crappy audio? So I bought a Heil PR40 microphone. It's not cheap. Um, it's about a 400 $400 and change microphone, and then you need an interface. So I have a, uh, you can't see it, but it's called a Focusrite single channel uh, interface that goes from an XLR connector. That's the, that's these fancy, you know, in the world of, of fancy audio, the XLR connector is king. So it takes you from a proper audio XLR connector and gets you into the USB world. Um, and when I, when all was said and done, I started getting this thing set up. And I don't I don't think we're we're we finished fine tuning all the settings and everything. Here's the amazing thing. I think my total investment was about seven hundred dollars versus one hundred and forty nine bucks. The the HyperX microphone had uh, digital conversion built in, so it went from audio to USB in the microphone. Um, it had a gain control on the microphone. Um, it had the fancy red light, which you guys had gotten used to. And it had a mute button for about 140 something dollars, I think. The difference between that microphone and this microphone to the average listener is really hard to discern. Uh, DBX um, was helping me and we did some comparisons. The video of mic comparisons is boring. I'm not going to publish it. And it's a small difference. I mean, it's a difference. And I like the new microphone. But my message to to everybody who is looking for a good microphone is that HyperX microphone is really hard to beat. Um, but I'm glad I got this one. When you take it out of the box, it weighs about four times what the other one weighs. It's a nice build. And Bob Heil, who started Heil Audio, um, and his sticker is right right there, um, is a ham radio operator, and I kind of knew of him because of that. But he also made, you know, some, uh, has, has some serious accomplishments in the world of music. And um, he makes a good product. So this is an interesting product. It was recommended to me by, um, well, Robert Simpson, you're not wrong. I actually have a foam windscreen, which is not the same. Um, yeah, I have one. So next next podcast, I'll put it on and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll experiment. I don't think I want to do it right now. <laughs> Chris says, so there's a cheap used HyperX mic available then? No, my so there's two others in my family using them, and so it'll be the spare. How is the directionality? Are you forced to sit directly in front of it? It has higher directionality than the HyperX, and I will now demonstrate it. As you can see, if I, if I come around the side of the microphone, it's a pretty significant loss and gain, and then if I come back to the front, you can hear it picking up again. So it is pretty; it's sharper than the other one, and I'm, I'm being careful to be in the right place. Um, yes, the Scarlet, exactly. The Scarlet, uh, what's it called? The Scarlet something? But yes, the oh Solo. I think it's called the Scarlet Solo. And um, we could we could get into this on. Uh, in the after show on Discord. Um, how are we doing? Oh, we're coming up to the top of the hour. Um, yeah, DBX says uh, 
direct recording might show the differences a little better than all of this digital stuff we're going through. It is a cardioid, yes. And don't get me started on cardioid patterns because there it really is only one cardioid pattern. Almost. Take care, buddy. Nice seeing you. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I want to talk about the Scarlet stuff. So I'll see you in the... Uh, we, we have a chat room on the Discord server called the After Party Roundtable, and that's where I'll be when we wrap this up. Okay. Um, all right. I think we ran the, I think the inbox is empty now <laughs> and it was great. Nice catching up with everyone. Uh, looking forward to seeing you next Sunday. I don't see any impediments to doing this again. Pretty happy with all the successes. Uh, after the show today, I will probably, probably be down in the shop and continuing on balancing rings, which is basically feeding the machine, and continuing on a set of four-inch rectangular stones. We have about uh, seven sets that are in the pipeline. I got to get them finished. Carl, take care. Nice seeing you. Have an awesome rest of your day. We stopped raining and the sun came back out, so I trust you're having the same down in Rhode Island. Widget Works, take care. Get back to work. Because we all need whatever it is you're doing. Um, so thanks again for tuning in to the PFG Live. And we'll see everybody next week. Maybe we'll have reports for you on on the, uh, on the experiments with the Heimer tip and other such things. Carl, <laughs> take care. Joel L., have an awesome day. Chris, thanks for being there. Yes, uh, we expect you to be more regular, sir. How else are you going to get that degree? You know what I'm saying? All right, guys. Have an awesome day. And uh, most importantly, don't get caught.